welcome to Minute 38 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob. I'm Tom. And joining us once again today on this lovely Wednesday is Jim O'Kane of the Rocketeer Minute and the Apollo 13 Minute. Welcome back, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I keep trying to escape, but I, they keep bringing me back. <laughs> you, should be, you should be happy. Oh, I'm we, sorry. We've had we've had guests we've had guests that were locked in Tom's basement all week. So, oh uh, my gosh, you know, you, oh. you you got got away with that one. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm sitting down with a cup of tea, and so we're, we'll have a cup of tea with Colin and Henley. Or Henley's not that <laughs> fond of it, though. <laughs> no, right. Minute th- minute thirty eight starts with Blythe finishing his sent- finishing his introduction of himself. And it ends with him requesting a camera. Now, we discussed this the other day, and I find it really, really interesting. He introduced himself, and he says, my name is Blythe. He doesn't say, my name is Colin Blythe. My name is, you know, just, my name is Blythe. You know, I, I think most of us, if if we were to introduce ourselves to someone, we would actually introduce them uh, by using our first name. You know, I wouldn't, I, I, I'm trying to think of, of a situation where I, where, I've been in where I where I automatically would would introduce myself using my last name. Well, if you were uh, on your if you were on uh, His Majesty's Secret Service at the time, maybe uh, you'd say 007. I don't know. Blo- no, no, he didn't say is- his name is Blofeld. His name is not Blofeld. No, well, he could have got my name is Blythe, Colin Blythe. Um, he could have, but he didn't. Oh, you mean he was cut off? Yeah. No, but then Hen- Henley responds also. My name's Henley. You know, he goes, "My name is Blythe," and he goes, "Henley," and like. At least they're not saying ranks. You know, yeah. at least he's not saying, I'm Captain Blythe and I'm Major Henley, you know, or whatever. And obviously, those aren't the ranks. But but uh, <laughs> it's just interesting that that's, that's the, the the way they introduce themselves here. Because I'm sure if you would have met Danny or Willie, they would have said, I'm Danny or I'm Willie. They wouldn't have said, uh, they wouldn't have used their last names. So I, maybe this is just a, you know, the, just the way that they wrote it in the script so that they decided to do it. But it just sounds less authentic doing it this way it does sound really awkward yeah i don't think i've ever introduced myself by my last name alone exactly because again if you were to say mr doctor you know if you had some sort of title beforehand then okay you would say your it then then you would say uh, your last name but but in this situation it just doesn't doesn't seem right but it i don't know I know, he was maybe something for that single name thing, like Madonna or Prince. I don't know if uh, it could be. It could be. Now, now we understand from from the, the man who we presume is named Hiltz. Okay, we've we've discussed the fact that you know he's walking around with a bag that says V Hiltz. So it's possible that he just found the bag and told everyone that that's his name. You know that he's really not uh, really <laughs> that he's really not Hiltz because and also he doesn't like people calling him Virgil. So maybe maybe that could be it. Also, maybe Colin doesn't like to be called Colin. Maybe Henley doesn't like being called Bob. It's possible. <laughs> you know, maybe that's why they're in a room together. These are two guys who don't like using their first names. So let's put them in a room together. Who knows? Well, actually, we'll never know. It's, you know, it's all, all fun to, to think about and trying to figure out. So then at the time that, that, that Blythe is introducing himself, Henley starts checking out a, a, a camera that the, you know, that, that's on the binoculars. Uh, binoculars. Sorry. Sorry, binoculars. 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 And and then they they into a very awkward, strange conversation about the difference between bird hunting and watching, you know, which which I think is basically just once again trying to show the differences between the way Americans think about uh, about things and and Brits. You know, Brits apparently they they prefer to just sit and and just watch birds as opposed to Americans who would prefer to just shoot it and have it for dinner. 
to me, that conversation harkens back to Eisen Hiltz in the cooler when Hiltz says, I ride bikes. And Eyes goes, you know, gets excited going bicycles, and Hiltz goes, no, motorcycles. It's the right. same kind of okay. dynamic we're trying to establish between the characters, specifically the Americans and the Brits slash Scots here. At least that's no how question. I take it. No question about that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and we do get, we could, we do get the, uh, finally get the American, uh, flight jacket there, or not, he's, he's an American, he's wearing a flight jacket. It's, it could be RAF, but he's, uh, Henley, as he walks back to the, uh, to the top bunk, uh, you can see his, uh, his leather jacket there laying right. out, so. Right, he was carrying it also when he first came into the camp. That was the only thing he was carrying. And, and when, uh, a few, a few weeks ago, when they thought he was stealing tools from the, from the truck, so he was also carrying it. That was something that that's that's basically you know when when we walk into the room and you see that his jacket is already yesterday in, when we were discussing this yesterday. So his jacket is already on the bed, which already established that he was been in the room, you know, and put things in there. Yeah. So we get to see that that jacket. But one thing, guys, before we, before we get to the jacket, so the during the conversation about the the birds with the hunting and watching. So Colin actually gives some very important information here that, that we can use for later in, in the movie where he says that uh, he enjoys watching and drawing birds. So, you know, th- this is a little bit of foreshadowing for, for later on, you know, once, once we find out what, what his occupation is, that, okay, it's, it's also very important that he's someone who's able to draw. And he can draw birds too. It's foreshadowing <laughs> not, not for three minutes later in the movie. <laughs> It, it, no, but later on, no, when later on, when there's a scene where Henley brings the, the German wall oh, yeah. and he shows him all the things. So he's he, he's drawn a, a picture of, of some some sort of bird, you know, that he's teaching everyone about the bird. Oh, that's it. Yeah, OK, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's interesting how he's uh, he's following this uh, this almost ritualistic uh, making of the tea, uh, which I think is trying they're trying to show a bit of Blythe's character that he is not yeah he's not one of the commandos he's not he's not a, a military guy it's it's more like this is what he'd do in civilian life he'd come home after a day of work and he'd make himself a pot of tea and sit down and listen to the radio or something but this this is all part of his life to keep himself you know civilized this is where, where he is and no matter what's going on he's going to have his nightly cup of tea yeah um, and and he 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 basically does it blindly while while they're still having their conversation, you know he hasn't he doesn't stop, uh, you know fixing his tea and playing with the pots and and the, the cups and everything. You know he continues the conversation because this is obviously something he's done every single night or a few times during the day, you know over the course of uh, however long he's been in captivity. Yeah, these, these rituals help keep him sane. Yes, and, and so he focuses yes. on all of that. Yeah, and the fact that, that, that we all know that, that Donald Pleasance himself was a POW, I'm sure that added a lot to his performance here by maybe maybe you know, maybe himself was I mean, I know he he was he was a hard liquor drinker, but maybe he used to drink tea also. Maybe that was something that he did maybe maybe that's something he brought to to, to the character from himself. I yeah, mean, and, I, you know, I, at, and he was not like he wasn't exactly a warrior. He was, uh, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but he was a he was a conscientious objector until uh, the bombing of London, and then he changed his mind and said, "I have to do something," and he went in. He di- he didn't take a a battle role. He was a, he was a, a radio man. He was you know he didn't carry a rifle, but uh, this 
this may have shown as parts of his personality while he was a POW. Maybe this is what he did to keep his sanity, just went through some rituals. It could be. Right, and then they continue a discussion about tea. Which, uh, I, I, I enjoy listening to Henley's response. He basically says, oh, I've only had tea once when I was in the hospital, in, implying that this is some sort of medicine. Because, yeah, because as as we all know, Brits Brits take their tea a little more seriously than than, than Americans do. Yeah. Uh, maybe today it's a little different because Americans, you know, it's, um, when you talk about tea time and stuff like that, but Americans nowadays probably outdo the Brits with with the types of tea they make and That's you know, the yeah. different varieties. <laughs> you know, you can walk into a store at least uh, you know when you don't have COVID and you know, and you have to actually decide what, what brand or what flavor tea you want. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me, I mean, uh, uh, Henley's reaction to it is, it, it, it reminds me of what my son used to say about uh, if he was ever at home uh, as an adult and he saw uh, and a TV was on and The Price is Right was playing, he said I, I, he'd always start feeling vaguely ill because when he was a kid, Staying home and watching The Price is Right was what you did when you were sick. You'd sit, and so he just said he'd feel like sick to his stomach watching The Price is Right because that's how he usually felt watching it. I can actually – I can empathize with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, there, there, there were a lot of TV game shows that, that uh, I only got to watch when I was homesick as a kid in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I get a little woozy when Bob Barker shows up. <laughs> and uh, It's <laughs> – um, we had talked about this uh, offline, but uh, the thing about tea is it being a very British, you know, it's kind of a symbol of empire that, you know, you got tea from Ceylon and uh, what is now Sri Lanka, um, getting it from around the world. The idea of having tea with sugar and milk, you're combining uh, products of India, uh, Jamaica, and the home country of Britain. It's kind of a, a massive imperial world, you know, symbol. But a lot of other countries didn't look at tea that way. They looked at it as something as a antiseptic, as something you, you know, like you said, like 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 Hanley was saying that you drink it when you're in a hospital, you drink it when you're sick. Um, there were uh, I was reading about a famous story about Belgian refugees when they were being brought to uh, England at, at, during uh, the like 1914, right during during the beginning of World War One. Uh, a lot of them were given tea in the refugee centers, and they would throw it on the ground because they they were like, "Are you trying to kill us? This is something. This is what you drink when you have, you know, typhus or something. You're trying to kill the the germs inside of you. It's not something that you drink for <laughs> for pleasure or for refreshment." Um, I guess I guess uh, interesting. Yeah, Henley had that same reaction. Right. I mean, I, I personally am not not. I don't drink uh, hot drinks. So tea is something that I will only drink when I'm when I'm feeling under the weather and you know need need something to to, to perk me up. I I completely can agree with that sentiment. You know, yeah, tea I'm, for I'm, me is you're I, sick. I, you don't, I yeah. don't do it otherwise. I, I'm that way with coffee. I cannot. I simply can't drink coffee. I don't think I've ha- ever had more than like two or three sips of it. Coffee makes me violently ill, which is a shame because coffee is one of those universal drinks that you can get anywhere. You can go into like a you can go to Goodyear Tire and be sitting down ordering, you know, spare tires and like that. And say, would you like some coffee? There's plenty of coffee. It's like, no, I don't drink that. Yeah, I don't. I don't drink coffee either. Never, no, never I've, touched it. I've, as you've, as as you said, I've, I've maybe had a few sips here and there, and it's never been to my liking. And I just, you know, people say to me, "How do you get up so early?" I get up at five thirty in the morning to go to work, and like, "How do you get up every morning so early?" Do you have a cup of coffee? I'm like, I don't drink coffee. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. And, I, I, 
I am, my wife is the opposite way. She runs on coffee, and I, I, I make her coffee every morning. I don't drink it, but you know, it's like I know how to, I can make coffee in my sleep, even though it doesn't, I don't drink it. <laughs> this has been the biggest problem me and my wife have had during COVID, and us both home all day. Is our coffee pot only makes so much coffee? <laughs> <laughs> we are both very much so run on coffee, and you know, in terms of tea, I drank a lot of sweet tea when I lived in the South, but that's a little different ball game than what they're dealing with, you know, the British high tea. Right. I mean, I only drink, drank tea when I was in the army and that was the only thing they gave us. You know, I, 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 for a few days I managed just to have a little bit of water. And then after a while I just broke down and would drink tea. So I only drink tea. That's like very, very light tea with, with, with tons and tons of sugar. So, which is also why I don't drink it. I, I used to work for a British aircraft company, and I'd go over to the UK, and they have tea there. I, I'm, I've been decaffeinated for two years, but back in the day, I used to drink something called PG Tips, which was their, a British, a British tea. And you, after about two cups of that, you can see through walls. I mean, there's so much caffeine in it. You, you can, the, the whole world starts vibrating because your blood pressure is like it sounds like a really good bowling score. It's just kind of um, it, it's it's mind boggling how much caffeine they can stuff in one little bag of, uh, of tea. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about it now. I'm getting itchy thinking about how, what what that stuff would do to. But you know, they drink it there like like they're bathing in it, and it's it's, it's an amazing an amazing culture that runs on that runs on that stuff. Yeah, no question about that. The the, the minute continues, and you know, you you get to see uh, Henley uh, standing next to one of the shelves, and you can you can make out a few things on there because, and then Colin says to him, "Where's your kit?" Meaning, you got nothing with you. You know, you, you have a, you have a jacket. Where, where's all your stuff? So he gives some sort of excuse as to why he doesn't uh, have it. He says that most of it was confiscated in the last shakedown. But I, I think that that's just a line. Uh, he seems like the person who, who, who just walks around with the, with what he's got on his, you know, his shirt on his back. He, he, he it reminds me, I, I was thinking to myself, okay, is he Jack Reacher? You know, someone who just walks around with nothing. But Jack Reacher actually has a, uh, you know, a, 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 a ATM card. I think that's the only difference between the two of them. I was always wondering, where are they all shaving? Because they all seem to have really great razors. These they nice, close, you know, barber shaves almost. Nobody ever has so much as a five o'clock shadow. I um, think uh, John Sturgis uh, dealt with that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I in in one of the documentaries that I saw about the movie where they were discussing where they were meeting with uh, with various people uh, in the town of where the movie was shot, they actually went into the barber shop and th- there were there were numerous car- uh, actors that every day would at the end of filming would would go to the barber shop to get a trim and a shave. Wow. So I mean that that's what happened in real life to these uh, actors, but uh, you know in the camp itself, I don't know how you can really explain that because I mean if you look on the shelf, he has. He has what seems like a shaving brush, uh, possibly a razor, uh, maybe toothpaste. He puts his hat there. I'm assuming if he has toothpaste, he has a toothbrush. That's um, like the four things, yeah. Exactly. There's 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 not much else there. Um, and then he takes out his his prized possession. You know, he goes over to his uh, jacket and pulls out a Swiss Army knife. And my first thought was, is did they really have Swiss Army knives back in World War Two? So I actually did a little bit of uh, research on it, and I was I was really surprised to see that uh, Swiss Army knives came around in in the 1890s. Uh, that's when they first created them. Even though in in uh, Moby Dick by Melville, 
it's actually one of the characters is described as having a uh, multi-use pocket knife. Hmm. And basically, he said that that he had. It, it, it says that he had a pocket knife that that contained not only blades of various sizes, but also screwdrivers, corkscrews, tweezers, awls, pens, rulers, nail filers, and countersinkers. Which shocked me that uh, you know Melville, who wrote the book in 1851, that they had something like that back then. But I, I guess it wasn't Victorian Ox. <laughs> so once he pulls out this multi-tool. Colin asks him if he's the scrounger, which seems like an utterly ridiculous question to me. It, well, because a minute ago they were in a room right. next to each other. Yeah, right. Literally two minutes ago, Colin was one person away as Roger introduced himself and asked if he was the scrounger. And I went back and looked. Colin is looking right at them when Roger brings it up. So I'm like, wait a minute. Why are you asking if he's the scrounger? You know he's the scrounger. Yeah, I don't. And I, I think this is just. And, and the other the other thing about it is, is, you would think that Colin, given the job that he has, he would be somewhat detail oriented. I don't. You know, it it seems like he'd be the detail guy. He's detail oriented when looking at documents. Yes. <laughs> not necessarily at looking at. Well, also we we know that his eyesight is going, so maybe he, you know, maybe it's already starting to fade a little bit. Uh, you know, he doesn't recognize the same person that was just two feet two feet away from him. <laughs> so that that could also be foreshadowing here. But I think it's just a, a, a plot device in the script to remind us that he's the scrounger. Scrounger. I, I I don't think it's it's something that. Uh, that <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't think it's any. I don't think we could read into it more than that. You know, and and I love his his first. You know, he says, "Oh, you're the scrounger," and then he goes, "I need a camera." Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's basically how the minute ends. Do either of you have anything else to say about this minute? I keep picturing uh, if this had been like, you know, some kind of a a pulp fiction thing, it would have. You're the scrounger, and then it would have been a freeze frame, and they would have put like a. Um, a comic book outline on it going into a Dutch angle, and it would say the scrounger in you know oversized <laughs> letters. That... Well, we, we've discussed in the past that this is one of Tarantino's favorite movies, yeah. which is why in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, he he does have the scene. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you know in a future Tarantino movie he does something like that. <laughs> True. Yeah. Wow. You know, have have the the, the you know. The, the typical Tarantino type music, you know, and then, you know, turning it all into a comic book hero, comic book caricature, and then, you know, saying uh, Donald Pleasance. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, well, Donald Pleasance as the forger. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then James Gardner as the scrounger. Yeah. I am, imp- I, I really am impressed uh, just in this, in this final moments of the minute, the, I am impressed by the laundry service. Because anybody can keep, I mean, he he's been a he's been in a prison camp for two or three years, and he has an immaculate white turtleneck. That is, just, I, 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 how much how much tide would you need to get that you know that oxyclean look? Um, it's uh, it's an amazing amazingly white uh, white turtleneck that uh, that Henley has. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the to the whole conversation that we that we we've had numerous times here. Is that I mean, come on, he's got one uniform. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's not just that he's able to keep the the, the turtleneck so white. It's that his uniform is also spick and span. I mean, yeah. uh, you would you would think that any of us, if we were walking around for one or two years, or even just a few months with the same clothes, especially when you're digging tunnels. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we shot down with a Dakota in a Dakota that was full of uh, uniforms. <laughs> And he's just like, oh, good, a 44 long, this is me. I'm bringing this with me. And just wandering through with a suit bag uh, all, all the way through the war. Well, I, again, I mean, you'll, you'll, you, you, when, when you listen to the rest of the, the earlier episodes, you'll, you'll have heard that some of the strange things that we found that some of the characters are carrying around. You know, there's a character carrying around a guitar. There's yes. someone carrying around a trombone. There's someone carrying around what looks like a, uh, an accordion. So we, we, we know that there should be a band in the camp, but they never really show it. Ah, well, the 4th of July is coming, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, do either of you have anything else to say about this minute? I'm good. Good here. All right. So, Jim, want to uh, tell everyone once again where they can find you? Uh, uh, well, we're finishing up as we're as we are recording this, or as we are playing this. Uh, if you spin over to thebestminutes.com, you can listen into the uh, finish of our uh, two-hour and fifty-minute-long movie called. That's uh, so short. Yeah, it's it is. A short, that's a short it movie. Is. It is. It's, it's almost like the Reader's Digest version of this. So we're uh, <laughs> uh, we have it's based on the William Wyler movie, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives from 1946. So if you like movies about war, well, you're too you missed you missed the war in our movie because it, it just finished in 1946. Uh, but uh, check that out. It's at thebestminutes.com or on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you pick up your uh, podcast, you can probably find ours, The Best Minutes Podcast. All right, and you can find us at our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. You can also visit us and uh, talk about uh, anything that we, we've been discussing on the our Facebook group for The Cooler. You can send us an email, thegreatminute at gmail.com, and you can also find us on Twitter at the great, at great Escape MXM. So until tomorrow, tally-ho. 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 Tally-ho.